This is the final installment of Finding God in Art, and this week we are going to talk about indie rock supergroup. And I brought my, I brought my prop this week, Boy Genius, which is Lucy Dacus, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker. They are three musicians that have their own music careers. They are all, and this is, this is part of what I love about Boy Genius, they are all huge fans of one another. They support each other, they love each other, they, make, they have their own careers going, and, and they've come together now for um, some shows, and they've put together uh, an EP, which they cleverly called Boy Genius, and an LP, which they cleverly call The Album. They are a band that sings about a lot of things. They, they don't have a lot of romantic songs. They kind of, they're the answer to the Taylor Swifts of the world that need cycles of falling in and out of love to create great... I mean, there's pop music is about love. I'm, I have no problem with Taylor Swift. It's just that, you know, sometimes you want some other themes sung about. Um, they, uh, their, their opening line to their new record, called The Record, is a song to each other, and it says, um, give me everything you got, I'll take what I can get. I want to hear your story and be a part of it. That's who they are. They love each other, they support each other, um, and sometimes they come together to create an album that is somehow greater than the sum of their parts. You know, usually, I don't know if you have fans of supergroups, I don't even know what supergroups we have anymore, uh, what was the, what was the one with the Chris Cornell and uh, Audio Slave? <laughs> they had some, they had some okay stuff. Um, but this is, I don't know, supergroups isn't much of a thing anymore. Anyway, I'm going to give you, I'm going to play a clip for you. This is from their song True Blue, and I want to get this will give you a sense of their their song. But I, I want to tell you that it's the lyrics of this song that when I first heard it, I knew this is going to be something we talk about in August. These are the words you're going to hear right now. Um, but it feels good to be known so well. I can't hide from you like I hide from myself. I remember who I am when I'm with you. Your love is tough. Your love is tried and true. I love that line, I can't hide from you like I hide from myself. There's something about that that speaks to me, certain parts of myself that, that I hide from myself, that I don't, I don't necessarily love, that when somebody loves is when you see those parts and, and even those parts um, and delight in those parts. Uh, it's a love that's, that's deeper and truer than, than romance. You know, romance anyway, that doesn't evolve into friendship is really fragile. Um, I think it's friendships, ultimately, uh, which is why single people can live rich, full, beautiful lives because of that, the, the friendship love demonstrated in this clip, and I think demonstrated uh, so often in lives of friendship. So anyway, here's a clip from the song, True Blue. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, we're from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We 
have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here, truly, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. This is the Word of God. This is John introducing us to Jesus. In the beginning of John's Gospel, he starts in the biggest, most cosmic way to describe Christ does. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. God, the Word, came down and made His dwelling among us, took on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He retells the creation story through the arrival of Jesus Christ. This is what we, who have been to seminary, call a high Christology. This is John painting a picture of Christ that is higher, bigger, better than you could ever even imagine. And then somehow Jesus comes introduced to us and does not disappoint us, lives up to the mighty prologue at the beginning of the book of John. Of, and John, Jesus comes and finds Philip, who then finds Nathaniel. And then what I'm struck by is imagine all the ways. If you had a cynic like Nathaniel, who didn't believe, and you're Jesus, you have all the power and authority, you can do whatever you want, how would you reveal yourself to him? You could think of all the ways you could use your power, all the, ma- the beautiful miracles that he did. But what Jesus chose to do to reveal himself was through intimacy, through his knowledge of who Nathaniel was. I saw you under the fig tree. Now, Nathaniel is a bit of a cynic. Any of you here have tendencies more towards the cynical side of things? It's okay. This is, this is a safe spot um, to, for us to admit. And I, as someone who was on an airplane this week, who drives across bridges. I think it's those people who are cynical, who ask the right questions and make things are done right, are the reasons I fly safely and drive across bridges safely. So thank you for your service to uh, our community. Um, and you can hear his, his skepticism when he says, wait, 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 wait. The Messiah's from Nazareth? From Nazareth. That's like finding out that the Messiah is from Yukaipa, you know, just for... <laughs> and I say that as someone who is from Yukaipa. I graduated Yukaipa High School, and I just know if the Messiah came from Yukaipa, people would go, Yukaipa? Huh. Didn't expect that. Uh, this is one of the cynic's favorite weapons, is something called sarcasm, which I don't know if you've ever heard of sarcasm before. Um, it's... Uh, One of the things I was thinking about as I was studying this passage is how often the cynical ones are often the older brothers and the older sisters, the ones 
who hear from Philip, hey, this is the Messiah, and it's like, oh, cool, man, I'm glad you got to go chase after the Messiah. Looks like fun. Unfortunately, I had to stay home with responsibilities. Is that, did they teach you that word up there at Jordan, responsibilities? No, they didn't. Well, anyway, good to see you, Philip. See you next, see you next month at your birthday. Anyway, um, that was, well, some bitterness coming out of me. Hmm. I'm going to attend to that later. Um, Philip, he's the younger brother. He's the one who was the disciple of John the Baptist. He followed John the Baptist. John the Baptist leading revival, baptizing people for repentance in the Jordan River. Hundreds and thousands of Israelites flocking to hear John teach, to be baptized in the Jordan, and to go home telling everyone and anyone in the neighborhood, the Messiah has been born, he's among us, any day now he could emerge. And I just, I was really struck as reading this, the idea, the one whom Moses wrote about. Think about getting a shout out from Moses and the prophets, like this is the anticipated arrival of the promised Messiah, and to live in the generation that got to meet Christ and to see and bear witness to his life. John is preparing the way for Jesus, turning hearts back towards, as John himself said, children towards their parents, parents towards children, healing generational conflict and divides, calling for repentance, and spreading the word all over Israel. The Messiah is born. He's about to emerge and begin his public life. So when John sees Jesus, he turns to the crowd and says, Behold, the Messiah, who was sent by God to deliver his people. I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove and remain on him. This is the sign that God gave me that would identify the Messiah. Uh, I see and testify before you. He is the one. And Philip becomes a disciple of Jesus. But first, he has to go find and tell his brother, Nathaniel, the skeptic, the cynic. And Philip says, you know what? I've lived with you my whole life. I know that the only answer to this is for you to come and see for yourself. I'm not going to try to convince you of anything. Come meet Jesus. Come see for yourself. So, Nathaniel goes, if for no other reason than to get Philip to come home, to disabuse him of the notion that this is the Messiah, to keep him out of harm's way because their Messiahs usually have violent ends. Oftentimes their disciples are caught up in that violent end. So maybe to do an intervention to say like, yeah, he's from now, there's no way this is the guy. So as he's going, walking into Jesus, maybe making, thinking of some questions to trap him or Maybe just maybe having somewhat of an open mind. Who knows? He goes up there, and Jesus sees Nathaniel. And I don't know what Jesus is doing there, but when he sees Nathaniel, he stops what he's doing in front of everyone and says, Ah, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. No deceit. You know, one of the things people, our brothers and sisters, who have a little bit of a skeptical bend, at times. Part of the pride of a skeptic is I am not easily deceived. I'm not easily tricked. And what you see is what you get with me. And so Jesus sees Nathaniel and somehow knows this is someone in whom there's no descent, the deceit. Um, in here, this is not a gullible person. This is not somebody that is prone to flights and fancy. He's not tricked. He's been around the block a few times. Look at him, Nathaniel. 
true Israelite, no deceit. And Nathaniel is taken off guard. And what Nathaniel says is, how do you know me? Now, and I want to point out that his response, there's a little bit of some skepticism in there, but it's a question. And questions create new possibilities, they open new doors. There's, life favors the curious. And Nathaniel doesn't say, you don't know me. How dare you, sir? He says, how could you know me? There's at least in there that question mark at the end opens the door for a possibility of, you couldn't know that. How, how could you know that? Um, and even more, I think, important question is this. Not how do you know me, is if you know that, how much more do you know about me? What else could you know about me? Isn't that an interesting question? What does Jesus know about you? What is, when you think about if Jesus called you out of a crowd and said that, how much more does he know? Is it possible that Jesus knows the you that you hide even from yourself? Is it possible like at the end of this passage that it feels so good to be known so well by somebody like Jesus that he sees you under the fig tree? Now, we don't know what Jesus is talking about here. What fig tree? What is he talking about? I saw you under a fig tree. What is that a, a reference to? Um, we don't know. I love that. We don't know. Maybe he was praying. God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Maybe he was heartbroken. God, I've never experienced pain like this. Where, where are you? Maybe it was a moment of transcendence where he had this experience of the living God, this warmth, this sense of being loved. And what Jesus is saying I saw in the fig tree, what he's saying is, yeah, that was me. That encounter with the living God was me. It is good to finally meet you uh, in this way. Um, who knows? I think it's the not knowing that's so powerful. What are your fig trees, actually? What are, what are the places where Jesus said to you, I saw you blank? What would those places be? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you mine. And I'm going to do it under an air of mystery. Because these are places God knows. John. I saw you weeping in your car while you're parked on Alessandro. I would know that he saw me in a moment of profound discouragement. If he said to me, John, I saw you on the bedroom in Sabari Court, I would know that's a reference to me experiencing deep grief. If he said to me, John, I saw you take that phone call, and then go in your office for a meeting and decide, no, this isn't a time for a meeting. Um, well, I'll tell you what this one is. This is when Jack got really hurt. And she called me. I know. She called me and said, Dad, I'm really hurt. I think something's broken. Something's really wrong. I think I dissipated. Blah, blah. I said, oh, Jack, I've got a meeting. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so, if, so in that moment, and then what I did was realized that was a really stupid thing to say. This is something that is going to be a, a matter of public shame at some point in September 3rd, 2023. And the point is, if he, saw, if he saw me turn around, he would say, I saw you in a moment of, of tremendous shame that you're going to relive over and over again about how you let your daughter down. Like the, I would know that in that moment that he saw that in, in that low space. Um, and you can know this one too. If he said, I saw you dancing to Taylor Swift in your living room, 
I would know he saw me as a dad delighting in his daughters. Um, and I'm a, an enthusiastic but terrible dancer. And the, the being seen in that way, all of those four different examples are ways that they're, they're my fig trees. They're spaces that are known only to me. And if Christ were to say to me, John, I saw you in those spaces, what that would say to me is, I saw you in your shame. I saw you in your grief. I saw you in your discouragement. I saw you in your joy. I saw you in all of those places. What are those places for you? I even think there's forgotten places where if you said it, you would say it would reawaken something that was repressed or forgotten, whatever it was. Um, maybe forgotten places, but maybe it's the places that you hide even from yourself that he sees. We know whatever it was that Nathaniel went from skeptic to believer in a second. Something changed in him, being seen in those spaces by Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I believe. And then the older brother packs up his things and becomes a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus, when he says, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, I imagine in that moment Jesus laughing, like head thrown back, and then saying, oh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you, you follow me because I saw you under a fig tree. You're going to see so much greater things than this. Uh, and then he references Jacob's ladder of, and puts himself in there as, as the one on whom heaven descends onto. Um, it's of all the ways that Jesus could have revealed himself to Nathaniel to persuade a skeptic. It was intimate. It was personal. It involved being seen by God. It wasn't Jesus' strategic plan for explosive growth around the world in just four generations, although, you know, that happened. It wasn't him opening Isaiah and articulating how he understands the, mess the messianic vocation as described by Isaiah and how he's, you know, it's, it was none of those things. It was so deeply and profoundly personal. Side note, skeptics, if you know skeptics, there's something Jesus understands about the human heart, that the skepticism, um, you know, honestly, I, th I think skeptics are the ones who want to believe the most, that, that have been burned before, been hurt by before. And Jesus is coming to a skeptic saying, I saw you. I saw the real you. The you that you hide from everyone, even yourself sometimes. You hide behind cynicism because you want to believe. And I'm here to tell you that you won't be burned by me. All of your hopes that you hide even from yourself is safe with me. This is not so much a story of people looking for Jesus. This is a story of Jesus looking for people. Jesus searching for people. It begins with these words. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Jesus looking for them, for us, for you. Jesus seeing us. David Asperger wrote, being listened to is so close to being loved that most people don't know the difference being heard, being seen, is to experience being loved. The first name given by God, no, I'm sorry, the first name given to God was by Hagar. 
probably know the story. Um, she was Sarah of Abraham and Sarah's handmaiden, slave from Egypt. She, Sarah couldn't have a baby, so she said, you can have, you know, my handmaiden will be a surrogate, my slave will be a surrogate for you, so she has a baby, Ishmael, and then Sarah has her own baby, and then um, resents Hagar and Ishmael, and tells, them, tells Abraham, send them away, so he does, and gives them enough food for, you know, maybe a day. Uh, and so there's Hagar, stranded in the wilderness, baby screaming. She can't give the baby any food. Um, she's, they know they're going to die, so she goes. For some reason, the, the distance always stood, stands out to me. It's, it's about as far as you can shoot an arrow away, just about an arrow shot away, where she doesn't have to be tormented by her son's cries for hunger and, and thirst as she goes and settles in to die. And, and then God sees her, and God provides for her. And she says to God, you are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. Nathaniel confesses alongside Hagar, you are the God who sees. We confess together. We, God is the God who sees, who sees me hanging up the phone looking at it, saying, what did I just say? What just happened? Turning around, going to take care of my daughter. <laughs> sees me weeping in Alessandro, sees me heartbroken on Zabari Court. The God who sees. And how good it is to be known so well. How good it is to be seen the parts that we hide even from ourselves. I can't hide from you like I hide from myself. I remember who I am when I'm with you. Your love is tough, tested, and true blue. Where are those spaces for you? May you confess with your mouth, God is the God who sees. Jesus is the God who sees you, who hears you, sees the parts of you that you even hide from yourself and still invites us the table with the words welcome home. So come to the table set for you by Elroy, the God who sees. And part of the Christian life is to see others as you are seen by God. And sometimes the most profound ways we experience God's love is through the love of one another. So may we be a people seen by God and who's learning to see one another. And may we learn to know one another in the same way that God knows us. Let's pray as we come to the table. Father, you are the God who sees, who sees us in the low moments of despair where we cry out to you, in the dark moments where we let ourselves down and important people down around us where we failed. Delight, dancing, Lord, you see every part of us and to every corner of our being, you say to us, welcome home. I see you. I see those places. And I love you and welcome you home. As we come to the table, may we do so experiencing your love, having been seen and heard by you. And as we return to our seats, may we be a people who see one another because we've been seen by you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Come to the table.